Hello and welcome to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. My name is Kathleen O'Sullivan and I am the host of this show. And together with a wide range of legendary leaders and experts in the field of leadership of self and others, we are going to explore concepts and ideas that show you how you can move past potential fears, negative self-talk and constant doubts in order to encourage you to becoming a legendary leader yourself with far more natural impact, influence and inspiration. We want you to be you, to be at your best and to show up in the most authentic way. So are you ready for it? Well, welcome once again to Legendary Leaders, the podcast. Hello and welcome to you all. It's wonderful to have you here and I'm even more excited to introduce Beth Knight to you here today. Beth Knight is a leading figure in social impact and sustainability and she has over 15 years of experience in purpose-led business transformation. She was, by the way, named the Great British Businesswoman of the Year in 2022 and my gut tells me that this is going to be repeated very soon. She's going to tell the story about how she uh, got this award and how she got an additional award with her team and what her initial reaction was to it, which still makes me smile. She's a frequent speaker, advisor and coach on mobilizing the private sector around climate change, social justice and upskilling on sustainability. And she is now the senior associate and head tutor at the University of Cambridge Institute of Sustainability Leadership and holds non-executive positions in a variety of environments um, and organizations. She is going to give us a brilliant insight today into her background, what got her actually onto this journey to become a leader in sustainability. And she shares some insights into her previous roles at Amazon, Ernest & Young and Accenture and, well, the good and the challenging sides she experienced um, and that helped her grow even further. But most importantly, I invited her to talk about sustainable leadership because I don't know about you, but I am not the biggest expert in it. And I thought this is a really interesting field. I believe it's Definitely an area of focus that our world needs as well. And I would love to learn more about it. And I would love to help other people learn about it. Well, you will notice very quickly, we won't get there to go into detail of sustainable leadership. But I promise you it's going to happen probably more spring, early summer of 2024, where we have a specialized episode all about it. We will give you some glimpses today. But actually, we didn't get there because Beth is just... Super easy to talk to. She is a brilliant and humble leader, a joy to listen to and to learn from. And today she offers us insights into not only her background, but her entire journey, her experiences, how some of the tough challenges in life were presented as new opportunities, chances to create fun experiences. She talks about traveling with her family and living in Kenya and how she gave back to the people in Kenya, how purpose-driven she is and all the good she is doing on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, how she drinks vodka with her Ukrainian um, housemates that she took in after the war uh, between Russia and Ukraine started and much, much more. I think it's a highly entertaining episode. I can't wait to share it with you. So please do enjoy. 
Speak to you in a moment. I'm going to start off so humbly. (laughs) Let me me share with you. I think in the pre-conversation, I said to you, when I read through your bio, I was initially quite intimidated, I have to say. It's quite impressive. And since then, I read through your bio again and again and again. And I'm just going to highlight a few of these things. So let me start with that. Winner of the Great British Business Women Award 2022. And by the way, I would expect that to uh, be received again in another year in the future, for sure. Senior Associate at the University of Cambridge Institute of Sustainability Leadership. You have been in top leadership roles at Amazon, Ernest & Young, Accenture, and you have done some incredible charitable work across the globe. And by the way, yeah, Beth is a mom of two, just by the way. <laughs> and every time I read through it, I'm like, how does and did she do this? So before I ask you that question again, first of all, when you hear all of that, and when you hear me talk about all the roles you have played in the past and that you play now, how do you feel about it? I feel very proud. I feel very humbled by hearing it all read out that way. Um, it didn't. I didn't think of it that way and intentionally grow my career to that long list of things. It just seems to have organically happened. There's a photo, I don't know if you've seen it on LinkedIn, of me receiving that Great mm-hmm. British Businesswoman Award. And I didn't know, I had no idea I was going to receive it. And I, I went along with my team. We'd been nominated for the work that we'd been doing during the COVID-19 pandemic and uh, my team won the award and it was amazing and then they announced this other award category that nobody knew was was happening and I my team realized that I'd won it before I did and there's this hilarious video of me just like looking around and everybody screaming and then the minute that I realized it was me that they were talking about winning this award I kind of got up on stage and I did this just like insane like ugly crying like the most ugliest crying face I think I've ever done just like the emotion of like a year and a half of like just extremely hard work, long hours, trying to juggle motherhood with work and, and amidst the pandemic and everything else that was going on. And it was an award that was nominated by peers, by other people working in social enterprise or corporate responsibility, sustainability at large multinationals. So to have been recognised in that room of individuals who just who, who stood up and had seen what I'd been doing and what I'd been through was just incredibly meaningful um and I didn't expect it it caught me completely off guard and every element of like I don't know imposter syndrome or whatever else it is that kind of like stacks up and racks up um just all came out in just like verbose sobbing on a stage (laughs) stage in the middle of London in front of all of my peer group so the photo is me holding the award going yay (laughs) which is the award with my team and then there's the other photo with me receiving my personal award where I'm just like this red-faced crumbling wreck of a woman um but it's just me all over like my team will tell you I just like you know I I have no no poker face like what you see is what you get with me and uh yeah I love that. And you know what? I think it's fantastic that he say I'm so proud. I, I'm you pretty sure. Work. <laughs> Tell you. Yeah. 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 What you often see is, I did not expect that. And, oh, and why did I receive it? There are other people who should get it and all of that. And you mentioned imposter syndrome. And imposter syndrome can sometimes literally take over pride as well. And we focus so much on why I might not be deserving 
that we forget about everything we have invested in it and everything you've done and achieved together. So I say it's great that you are able to say I'm really proud. Yeah, I am. I, I really am. And I think that um, particularly in the, the type of work that I that I do and have done where you're working at, at the intersection of like responsible business and corporate sustainability and, and in that context, humanitarian aid and pandemic relief, you're so busy in the work of the work. You just, you're, you're in constant motion. You get in home, you're sorting out the children, you're like phoning your mother to check in on elderly relatives or whatever else it is that you're doing you don't actually very often stop and then when you have moments where somebody very kindly on a podcast reads out your cv <laughs> like shit yeah oh pardon my friend sugar yeah i've done that i've done that yeah and i um i'm very proud of that i i think um trying to just take those moments to just recognize it and and also not it'd be nice to say you don't need a pat on the back but sometimes it's quite nice sometimes it's nice to say to hear somebody tell you well done and you deserved that and that's that's been one of those moments for me for sure so you already kind of alluded to the work you have put in there the kind of um different parts of the work that have come together and that you have mentioned this period of time that led to the award mm. and it would be fantastic to learn a little bit more about the work that you have been doing because that was still in your role at Amazon right? Yeah so that that role related to my first two years at Amazon I was I was mm. there for four years all, all up nearly four years three and a half maybe um, and I, I I got hired literally at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. So in, up until that point, I'd been, I'd been working at Ernst & Young and we've been doing some great work there around uh, responsible business, um, women in technology programs, these sorts of things. And with the pandemic, so Am Amazon was very busy during the pandemic, as you'd expect, you know, commercially delivering everything people needed to their homes, et cetera. But not pe many people are aware that there, there was also this other team that got stood up. It was my, my team, essentially. And we were doing a combination of pandemic relief um, and also uh, kind of education support uh, with a program at the time called Amazon Future Engineer. So we were working with the UK business, sending COVID-19 test kits uh, around the country uh, pro bono using the, the, the company's um, logistics network. There was a project that we stood up, which has subsequently grown, and, and you can find out more about it, but it, it started in Fife in Scotland in partnership with Gordon Brown, where we were trialling and testing uh, the donation of customer returns ra rather than kind of um, putting them back into commercial uh, kind of sales or in into liquidation pipeline without getting too technical about it. Mm -hmm. We were um, donating that on to members of the local community that were really living on, on the poverty line in the local area. And so all of this kind of using the business's capabilities and what Amazon is famous for and is good at um, as a force for good. So that was that was all a, a big part of that. Um, and then in, in addition to that, I'd been doing a lot of advocacy work for women in business, uh, specifically um, getting diverse voices, perspectives, di diversity of thought into uh, environmental and social impact careers um, and so that was the other aspect of what the the award was about and um, I've been doing a lot of work with uh, apprenticeships in the UK and diverse hiring structures in and around Europe um, to bring kind of junior talent from different walks of life into um, this sort of work. You've just mentioned a range of core focus areas really really important ones 
right? Mm. And I wonder what were some of your greatest success stories there? Oh gosh, um, I, th I think probably the the COVID nineteen pandemic relief. So what we did what we did was we we took an attitude of we'll do some fast fire grants and we we did the normal thing that most corporates were doing at the time which which is charity donations unrestricted out to different community groups um, but we also realized that working in a large multinational um the most impactful thing that the company could do was use use its business capabilities as a force for good and so doing things like um launching donation campaigns on the website so that customers could uh, engage with and donate whilst also um, kind of ordering the, the kind of essential goods that they needed. We did uh, outreach, um, so supporting with like volunteer activations that we uh, encouraged and supported staff to do on the ground, uh, mapping out where we had a a, a footprint of reach uh, nationally for an organization that you know can, can get to anybody's front door pretty much um the company was uniquely placed to be able to do a lot of a lot of good in a in a short period of time and and yes i kind of held that working group and convened it with with a number of other individuals within the organization but i think that the skill there was i wasn't doing all of that on my own right mm -hmm. you know like there, there was a a wonderful group of people around me who came with a lot of heart and a lot of need to to do something to make the world a better place and I, I think my gift in all of that was to be able to channel that energy and enthusiasm into a direction that was um, as impactful as it possibly could have been in that context and I carried that with me through my career at Amazon so you know fast forward a, a few years into my time there and um I led the global humanitarian aid response for the Ukraine war. And I had a very small team, <clears throat> very lean, agile team, lean, agile team, which is a way, another way of saying small. <laughs> yes, um, yeah. And, and we couldn't have got a lot done on our own, you know? And so having the trust of colleagues that had been with me in these working groups through the pandemic and out the other side of it to then be able to call out to them and say, you know, I need, I need your help and assistance again there's this uh this war that's broken out and we need to mobilize that pace and we've got x amount of funding and y amount of intention and what i'm missing is you know boots on the ground people giving time etc and um within 24 48 hours we had a working group of around 250 people mm. some of whom the business in good faith released from their day job some of whom did it in the, in like a side hustle capacity because in some way they were moved by the situation that was happening and uh, I, I have found through my career that where I've had something unique to offer has been my ability to hold cross-functional or cross-sectoral groups of people with skills in order to address a kind of common problem or a need to move at pace, um, either at the moment of crisis around something or through a period of change within an organisation. And I've applied that to different things. Uh, but it's been a constant theme that has followed me through my career journey, for sure. And let's stick with that theme for a moment, or better said, with your career journey. I will come back to your work within Amazon, however, as well. I was wondering, how did you make your choices for those different roles, different organizations? So, for example, I didn't associate Amazon right away with uh, charitable work, humanitarian work, for example, that might be me just being very, very ignorant. But I wouldn't have 
combine the two necessarily right away. And you have also represented a range of roles and kind of themes within those roles, um, but have always been purpose-led. Yes, purpose-led, values-led, for sure. I sometimes joke that I have fell forward into these different opportunities and that may be a way of like disingenuously talking about my career growth but um I I never kind of set out with this really kind of clear pipeline or ladder like you hear people talk about this in career progression like get that female leader through the pipeline get her up get up that ladder and I I never really liked that that never really fit fit me because maybe there's something in my my dna as as uh you know somebody from a small village in cornwall that i don't like being put into a mold or told to behave a certain way or being labeled or whatever and so i've had a a a career that has moved and ebbed and flowed and um that's worked very well for me because i i followed that intention of i'm going to go where i can be most impactful where i can bring my full self and my full heart and my brain to what i'm doing and the minute at which that no longer feels right or true or I'm in the wrong place or wrong organization or you know a different person can take on the work I'll I'll move on and I'll change and I've I've organically sort of done that and fallen or progressed into that next thing and the example with Amazon I guess is a good one because I'd left Ernst & Young I'd been leading a women in technology uh, program there designed to help women get in tech, stay in tech, use technology as a force for good, et cetera. And I I had intended to um, go freelance and become a solopreneur, et cetera. I had a few clients, had some interesting work on the books. um, And then the pandemic hit and I was like, oh my gosh, this is not the time (laughs) to be starting out as a solo entrepreneur, building up my own um, consulting and coaching business. So I was like, okay, I'm going to look around and maybe do some contracting or go back in house for a period of time. And part by design, part by chance, part by word of mouth, I, I got referred to this role at Amazon. And it was just that combination of right person, right place, right time that led me to to join um and there was there was a few other opportunities at the time I also got offered a role um ONS the office of national statistics in the UK where was looking at somebody to become their their director of ESG data so leading how the UK government was was reporting on uh the environmental social and governance impact of the country and the business operating within the country and that on paper looked like a great role as well like I could have gone and done that but the more impactful role with more resources and more ability to do good, I thought at the time was Amazon and, and it, it proved out to, to be the case. And then, you know, the pandemic starts and ONS then becomes hyper-focused quite rightly on health statistics. So, you know, right decision. And that's also happened at other points in my career. Like earlier in my career, when I was at Ernst & Young, um, I'd got onto like a, a leadership development uh, program internally and was having real conflict about, you know, do I want to become a partner long term? Do I want to be a technical specialist and go down a director route? What does that look like? And I got offered the opportunity to um, go to Kenya. And I think maybe romantically, my husband and I had this kind of idea that we'd go to East Africa at some point when we'd met, he'd been working in Tanzania. And so there was a draw for us to, to do that. And 
when the opportunity came up in Kenya, I, I sort of jokingly came home that night and my daughter was two years old at the time. And I said to my husband, oh, this role, they want someone to go over there and they're working with a domestic NGO called Shining Hope for Communities and with UN Women and the East African government looking at gender-based violence lobbying reform. And this looks amazing. And, oh, but we've got a young child and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I I'd, I'd sort of talked myself out of it almost. Um, and my husband just saw me get so just light up about the idea of it all and and he just kind of put a mirror back on me and said well you know why not you know like surely we, we talk about what we want our children a child at that point to grow up like and we want them to be brave and adventurous and kind and loyal and what better than to just embody that and surely mm. being brave is making this this quite quite kind of bold choice to moved to Kenya for a year. <laughs> My husband took a sabbatical from his employer Sainsbury's and we jumped on a plane literally within two weeks and relocated our lives for a year. And um, I had the most amazing time there. I worked with some phenomenal people. I was like one of the only um, expats slash white British people working in an organization of over 400 Kenyans. And they made me feel so welcome, so included, so at home. I spent a lot of my time working in Kibera, which is one of the world's largest slums in the world. So I went from working in a, you know, in Canary Wharf in London in a professional services capacity. Three weeks later, I'm sat in a urban slum shooing a, a street dog out of my office. <laughs> so, you know, what an adventure. What an adventure. How did it go with the two-year-old? She she loved it. Uh, she doesn't remember very much of it now. So she's mm. she's eight now. Jocelyn. She still knows a little bit of Kiswahili because we used to sing uh, Baba Ambuzi, Baba Black Goat to her. And we had a wonderful nanny called Janet who um, kind of came came in every day with us. And, and she was a, a gospel singer in her local church. Oh, so our house was just full of Kiswahili music. And we'd found we decided we didn't want to like live in a um, in much of a gated community. We wanted to really be be part of the culture and so we ended up living in a in a half a house with a Sikh family and I'd had Sikh friends at school uh, for a time growing up but I'd never I'd never really kind of um, gone deep into the Sikh religion or culture and so living with that family was just again just brilliant from a learning perspective that the grandma um, just adopted all, all of us my little girl adored her if if my little girl wasn't singing gospel in Kiswahili with Janet oh. she she had um crawled into Noopy's lap and was having cuddles and learning about you know homemade dal and all of this stuff that they, they would be cooking and um it just felt like a very rich loving time in our lives and yet a time where we were in a culture that was completely not our own and learning a lot about the local uh, kind of way that business works out there and, and how to kind of have an impact with our skills and the whole kind of intention of going there was I'll have done my job well if I help somebody locally take the job after I've I've left you know it, it shouldn't be a situation where you've got kind of expats coming in to to run this sort of programming you want local people to kind of own it deliver it because it's their community they, they quite rightly should and so that, that was a big kind of push for me being there and, and seeing that the impact of that. I'm just in massive awe, seriously. I mean, first of all, I could literally listen to you forever without chatting. Okay. And, and I've had it with some of the podcasts that I've listened to um, 
where where I heard your voice and I'm just like, oh, I'm getting so calm and I could just listen to the storytelling. You have some exciting stories to tell and it's brilliant. But at the same time, a sense of awe also comes from pure inspiration. And I'm not saying that to schmooze you and, you know, um, it's, it's, it's incredible. Some people just got it in them that they inspire by simply showing who they are. And everything you share, everything you talk about is so damn real. You know, there are people who do good from time to time and focus on charitable work, for example, you know, thinking about how to give back. And that's wonderful. And that's lovely. And that's needed. Mm. And you just live and breathe it. You're the only one who talks about suffering from burnout. And as a result of burnout, you go away to Kenya. That was a Kenya story, wasn't it? Yeah. And help other people, other communities there. Yeah. Yeah. I gave a speech in Westminster about that. Um, sometimes I talk to people and, and I, they look at me like I've grown a second head, like what you talk like, but honestly, genuinely, that's what happened. I think that I, I would truly believe in a change is as good as a break, right? You know, I, I learned so much from my time in Kenya. I, I think I was, I was feeling a massive disconnect with who I was as a person. You know, I'd, I'd gone from a, a very kind of rich slash semi-sheltered upbringing not rich in the monetary sense but in the time sense I felt very loved growing up as a child I came from a small village in Cornwall my family was very close we moved around a lot I was very nurtured I was very privileged in that in that sense and then I moved to London I got a good job I was doing well I was at Accenture I, I moved around the world a bit doing doing different pieces of work my career was accelerating quite fast but at times I felt quite lonely you know um particularly junior in my career um my, my husband was traveling a lot as well we were sort of ships passing in the night I ended up getting a dog to keep me company because he was away a lot in the week I, I was a little bit scared living in London honestly as well like I remember when I moved to London my grandma bought me um a rape alarm and some mace and just put me on the train and was like you know just like you can always come back you can always come back but I didn't I didn't look back I kind of I I I walked Amazon would describe it as a two-way door. So whether you call it a two-way door or falling forward or whatever, but I always took the attitude of, if I get it wrong, I can always turn around again. You know, I'm going to try. I'm a trier. <laughs> and so I was like, right, I'm going to give it a go. And so, you know, I moved, I moved to London from the West Country. I gave it a go. I knew I could go back if I needed mm. to. I worked in London for a while. I then started to feel a bit lonely, a bit disconnected, a bit unsure. I threw myself into my work, but then my work became consuming and then that example I gave uh, in the Westminster talk about burnout was when essentially what had happened is I I came back from maternity leave with my my young baby girl I moved into a new a new role um, which on paper again looks amazing I was head of strategy and operations for a purpose-led business think tank surrounded by very intelligent people top of their game but juggling you know being a very driven individual impact-led values-led figuring out my identity as a mom, very little support network around me day to day because of the nature of like being in a nuclear family in a kind of home county slash London environment. So fairly disconnected from the, the, the physical closeness of my, my family and just juggling like a crazy person, you know. And then I moved to Kenya for a year and community is 
everything you know um you need help with your child somebody going to give you advice you don't need help with your child someone's still going to give you advice <laughs> you know you're you're in the supermarket somebody sees your child doing something naughty they discipline your child in Kenya because it's a community where it's it's very it's it's Ubuntu it's we you know it's a shared responsibility to bring and raise up the next generation of of, of children and leaders etc and I and I I learned so much in that I found again, I think, what I had lost when I left Cornwall. Because mm. strangely, I felt more at home in Nairobi and Kenya mm. than I did in London. I felt like I'd found part of my Cornish identity again. I had to move to East Africa to find my my Cornish identity again, but it it made me reconnect with my my village, my roots, my identity, what I needed around me, which is, you know, it's it's people. And uh right now it in our in our home and I'm recording this podcast with you from, from where we live um we've got Ukrainian refugees that live in one end of our house I've got an annex in the other end of my house where my mother lives because during the pandemic my husband and I were like what what's the life that we want what are the things that bring us joy and for me it was you know I I love spending time with my mom I enjoy just being able to play Scrabble with her in the, in the evening and have a cup of tea and we just sort of built our lives around us in a way that made us happy without having to worry about whatever whatever anyone else thought. And so, yeah, maybe I am really values led, but I think also I've learned I'm just going to prioritize what fills me up, what fills my cup, what makes me happy. And I'm, I'm going to try and use that as my compass. And, and you made me giggle when you wrote about what gives you energy is being goofy with your children. I've been called goofy before and I'm really proud of it. I think it's a very healthy characteristic to have. Yeah. Um, to be playful and goofy from time to time and to laugh about oneself, you know. I think so, yeah. I think what, it, it mm -hmm. keeps you grounded. Like, mm -hmm. you to your kid, you're just mum, right? Like, yeah. whatever you've done in life, they don't, you know. I my, my daughter goes to Beaver Scouts on Monday nights. And so... Um, I went along recently and stayed and helped out. And um, one of the children asked my daughter, what did your mummy do for a living? And she just turns around and she went, oh, she helps people. And I was like, oh, like if my eight-year-old can articulate my work that simply, then I'm doing something right. Yeah. I'm doing something right. And, you know, you demonstrate real genuine authenticity. Authenticity is a word that's being so overused at the moment. Um, I still like it though. It's a it's an important word to me. But you're generally represented. You are values driven. You're just really human. When I meet you, every time I meet you, it's like we've met a ton of times. It's the second time. But every time I feel like, oh, she's a real gentle soul. And I met your children briefly as well. And it was just like we have, you know, met before a ton of times. And I oh. think that's so important in leadership that you are able to show up as the person you are, demonstrating your values, really believing in it, and slowly but surely taking people with you on that journey. And so many leaders, and, and I'm generalizing highly here, put themselves under pressure to kind of play a certain role. And that yeah. has to be the right role for others. And we forget about ourselves and all of those different identities that we carry inside of us. Yeah, 
I mean, firstly, thank you. That's just what a massive compliment to, to receive from somebody. One of the nicest compliments I've, I've ever had, I, I got told that I was graciously bold once and I thought, wow, that like how, what a nice phrase because it's both soft and strong at the same time. But I also don't want to give the impression that I'm like some sort of angelic evangelist figure and I've <laughs> cracked all of this, right? Like I, I, I've messed up at times. I have like dirty laundry like everybody. I get stuff wrong. I think the slight danger in like, being your full whole self is that we are all students of life <laughs> and we can get stuff wrong right like um a few it's a while ago now but I constantly remember this example because I remember how it made me feel afterwards but I was I was on a conference call talking to somebody and it was around the time of St Piran's Day which is the patron saint of Cornwall and I was um trying to explain what that meant to a colleague and I and I said oh I, I've got ancestors that might have been smugglers ha 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 trying to be funny and goofy and they didn't understand they were like oh ex explain that to me and I said oh well it's it's sort of like pirates um it you know they would have been and I started explaining it and when and as I started explaining it I realized that what what was quite a romanticized Cornish idea of a smuggler thinking about things like Poldark and you know all these sort of you know um things to them as I started explaining it just sounded quite criminal <laughs> and that I was like encouraging people to like steal and 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 piratize etc yeah. and then they they made some sort of mental leaf leaf leap sorry from piracy into slave trade and then somehow um that got projected onto the words that I was using and and I was I was beyond mortified and it just it sat with me and and that kind of power of you know in in an effort of being my full whole goofy whole mm -hmm. human self I hadn't taken a beat to understand the other individual's frame of reference um and so I I had got that wrong because I had caused pain or upset in that other individual and you know you sort of go back and you unpack these things and you learn and and etc but I think that's part of good leadership right like you have to constantly evaluate how you're showing up you have to kind of own when you got it wrong share these stories it's even just talking about that this now makes me feel uncomfortable um but I think it I think you need to because you learn from these things and it makes you better and I would us I would like us to learn in particular um from your experience in Kenya for one more moment because cool. yeah. I want to I want to rewind for a moment to that supermarket situation mm. so your kid has been naughty and then someone you know will let them know how to behave quote unquote properly whatever the the better word would be and If you were to go into a supermarket and you expect everybody to behave in the same way as other people would behave in the UK, for example, you may be very surprised. Yeah. And perhaps you get a little bit upset and you're like, why are you getting involved? And, you know, get away from my child or whatever the reaction might be. Yeah. 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 And I'm not sure how you reacted in the moment, but I'm curious to understand how you approached this adventure, for example, in Kenya. And I'm, I'm aware you had other adventures as well yeah, in this world. Yeah. Um, to embrace that this is the local culture and to see the advantages of it and to, yeah, really utilize it for yourself as well. Well, I mean, the strange thing is that that was more natural to me. Like, so like growing up in Cornwall, and maybe this is true of any other communities up and down the UK where it's like, it's, fairly insular like village community like I had my cousins in the same class and year group at school as me I, I couldn't 
get up to anything too naughty because somebody would find out somewhere that knew someone do you know, <laughs> do you know yeah. what I mean? like, um it was it was very normal to me that um that there was a like a strong sense of community identity for me growing up anyway and my grandma like lived three or four roads away from me growing up you know and and everybody all the parents at the school gates that were there they knew one another etc and they probably went to school with my father and knew my grandmother and you know oh you're so and so's young girl la 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 so going to Kenya and seeing that it's not necessarily something that you you'd expect to find because our culturally our, our cultures are visibly different right and yet that that spirit of community is still very very strong and present and so for me I I, I welcomed that and especially when I knew that it was from a, a point of from a place of kindness you know that there were other examples of things that happened that did that did make me uncomfortable um at times I, I had a security guard, a bodyguard that would that would come with me because uh, I worked in the slum a lot and it, it was quite dangerous. But quite often I would find people would be touching my skin or like um, my hair. Every now and again, I'd be sat in a meeting and one of the people that worked for me would just start playing with my hair. And I would sit there and think, mm, um, what do I do in this situation? My hair was a lot longer then. Um, I had this kind of like big Hagrid kind of curly Afro thing going on. And I'd, I'd, sit, I'd sit there and I'd be like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just going to give them permission to like get this out of their system. And then we'll <laughs> refocus back on the meeting. But also being hyper-conscious of the fact that actually I was quite curious about their hair and maybe that's okay. And maybe I can ask them a question and, and you know, we can, we can just share and be a bit uncomfortable together because in the process of being uncomfortable we'll learn more about ourselves and, and one another now there's a fine line there when it becomes part of like your physical space and your safety and all those things so you know interpret what I'm saying with a pinch of salt but um a, a comparable example um when my husband and I started dating so we started dating just after I'd moved to London and I, I love to talk to people, as you probably now know, like one of the things I, I enjoy to doing is like if I'm at a bus stop, I'll start up a conversation with somebody or if I'm on the underground and I see somebody reading an interesting book, I'll ask them about it. And I've sort of learned that from my grandmother. My grandmother was very much like that. Right. So um, I'm like chatting away to people, making friends. <laughs> my husband's like, who? Who's that person? How do you know them? I'm like, I don't know them. I've just met them. What are you talking about? Um, sort of flirting. I'm just like, I'm not flirting. I'm just being nice. Like, what are you talking about? You think you're being nice, but they think you're da da da. Um, and it took me a while just to kind of flick my brain into that sort of London way of being, where you might see somebody every day and walk past them every morning, and you don't say hi. You just kind of pass each. I'm like so sad, and I'm just like, oh no, I don't want to. I didn't be that way and so I found I found kind of fun in stretching stretching my influencing muscle on on a daily habit basis whereby I if I see somebody on the underground that's looking sad or like or, or someone's lonely or I, I'll, I'll quite often strike up a conversation with them I know like most of the big issue sellers <laughs> on my walk to work they know my name we'll stop and have a chat um but they'll know my coffee order I'll know theirs um just because it's how I it's how I, you know not everybody's like that right it's, it's not going to work for everyone but yeah. that's how I enjoy being you know um it brings me joy in my day it also gives me perspective in my day right because our lives can get so yeah. narrow and insular that if we don't appreciate other people's lived experiences and realities 
we don't understand them you know we can't we can't I, I fully agree with you and remind me of a good friend of mine who is exactly like that. And when you walk with her through London, she's just like chatting up everybody and buying little croissants and so on and then giving it to the homeless people. And yeah, I, I just look at her all the time. Like It's incredible what she notices and what she becomes so aware of. And it's, I think, it's wonderful. I think more, more of us should do that, yeah. you know. And um, it became... It, it, in my team at Amazon, um, po- post-pandemic, when we were all back in the office, um, if we had like a team event or we were all out buying lunch or we went out for an evening dinner, they all knew that there was like, if there was any waste on the plate, it was going in a box. And then we were all we would all be like, my, my, like little ducklings wandering up and down um, Bishopsgate trying to give the food away. Because I was like, there's no way I'm letting this food go in the bin. So I think when you see those sorts of habits translate into other people's habits and they habitually start doing the same thing, I think that's a good thing. Um, that, you know, I can't sustain that, you know, I, I have to also sit down with a book and recharge my social energy battery. I'm not like a kind of end of the spectrum ex- extrovert. I'm probably somewhere a bit in the middle and I like my quiet time thinking sat at laptop, etc. And then I like my social time. Um, I think there's I think the word for it's polymath um yeah. I'm quite you know I can do both these things well so I've always been called the introverted extrovert okay explain uh, to me what that means well similar to what you expressed so if you were to work with me what you see is someone who's very outgoing loving to build networks and community but I need to get my head down in between I need to generally recharge on a regular mm. basis and have some proper mean to me time and that has shifted even more in the last few years through covid early motherhood for me mine is eight my just mine just turned three so therefore there's also an identity shift there's more energy that you give and i really i'm really aware of that and in the beginning i was kind of beating myself up you still have to be that same person for other people yeah. until i realized i can't quite be the same one person for all this range of people so i have mm-hmm very close um, connections, but not necessarily anymore the need to be the life of every party mm-hmm. uh, connections. And that's really important. That and becoming like to be. That sounds yeah, good. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think it, it's, it's a key. And I mentioned it in a lot of uh, episodes of this podcast. You've got to listen to your needs and they may change and that's okay too. You have a son, did you say? Yes. Yeah, so I, I have an eight-year-old daughter and a, a four-year-old son, and I, I love my daughter. She's brilliant, right? She's she's goofy and funny and fierce and clever and loyal and all those good things. My son is kind and sweet and thoughtful. When I found out I was pregnant with a boy, I was terrified. I was so scared. I I, I genuinely was like, how can I be a mother to a boy in this world? Like I, I'm a I'm a woman. I know what my daughter needs to to be strong and to come up and 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 to to be her full whole self. How do I raise a man in this society that we have, and and the change that men are having to go through in order to share equity with women, in order to actually have permission to be their whole selves? I think sometimes it can be harder for men because they're just they're having to be a behave a certain way particularly in business um, and I see that a lot in in colleagues that I work with men, men seem to disconnect their 
work self and home self much more linearly than women do, uh, perhaps because they have more capacity to compartmentalize and women women are just like juggling like crazy messes. But um, I think it's hard being a, a mother to boys. And I'm, I'm kind of curious if I can ask you a question on the, on the yeah. podcast on how you, is that something you think about? How do you think about how you raise him? Today's podcast is sponsored by Inner Professional Online Training Programs. With courses geared specifically for legendary leaders, Inner Professional provides an extraordinary catalogue of leadership and professional development programs unlike any online training you've experienced before. Hone your conscious and authentic leadership skills with peer group, networking communities, direct engagement with life experts, and a wealth of compelling, easy to engage on-demand content. Learn more at kathleenmerkel.com slash innerprofessional. I think about that all the time. Yeah. And then I come back to something important. It's about the fundamental values. I think we can we can also overcomplicate how we raise children. Mm. Yeah. And what I mean by that is you build up already certain expectations, how you ought to be so that he can co-create this equitable world, for example. Mm -hmm. What I always come back to is a lot of, you mentioned actually, I want him to be really kind to other people. I want him to think about diversity in the most natural sense because he knows it, he has it around all the time, he appreciates the, the diversity. And the other thing is all about how he experiences us as parents. And we are lucky enough, we are parents. I know a lot of solo parents or single parents even where you don't have the other side. And I think that he has the opportunity to experience us and how we work together and our team and how we share mm -hmm. everything that needs to be done and organized is for me really important. So that there isn't a question when he gets older about, no, this is not the role of a man. This isn't what we should be doing. He sees his dad cook mainly. I'm not the cook in the house. He is, right? Yeah. He sees me running the business more often than his dad. Doesn't mean he doesn't work, but he sees me more often doing it. Yeah. And talking about work and his dad picking up from childcare and so on. So that's important for me as well, that we pay attention as parents to how we role model certain values so that for him it becomes utter second nature. I think the bigger question is, and that's not a very kind of, that's not a deep question. The bigger question for me is always, how do I manage the energy? Because there's a clear difference between girls and boys. And give them <laughs> this opportunity <laughs> to really live into that energy, to get rid of it and to be a child that really enjoys all of uh, all of those beautiful things childhood offers. Being mm -hmm. out there, running around, playing football, building a community that he wants to build, having choices and doing all the things that provide fun and joy and pure, lovely childhood, as you has, have kind of described it about Cool. Don't know if that answered your question, but no, it did. I mean, I, I think I, I have I have so much respect for single parents. Like I, you said, oh, you've done a lot, Beth. How do you do it all? I mean, I would not be able to achieve what I have at work and through through how I show up for others without my my partner, my husband, without my family around me, my in laws. I mean, my mother in law and father in law 
kept both my husband and I going through the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, that I, I will have, I mean, they were already lovely people, but gratitude for how they showed up for us um, and, and helped us essentially raise our children day to day through what was a really tough period. Like all of us that lived through that pandemic, we know how hard it was. And it, and it takes a village and like building your support network around you to help you raise children in, in, in that way is is important and not falling over yourself in the process. Yeah, absolutely. But you know what, what we often do is also like reading time is often about emotions. Now, I'm not a mom who sits down, you need to always to find your emotions. Absolutely not. Mm. But really understanding what does kindness mean? What does anger feel like? And how do you deal with that? And I think it's, again, really strongly connected to self-leadership, a topic, again, that I talk often about. You know, if he doesn't see it from myself, that I'm able to say, I'm really frustrated right now, I'm really sad, and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how I lead myself in certain uh, situations when I feel this way, well, where is he going to get it from? Yeah, And if I don't welcome a diverse population in our house, if I don't take him away to see differences in this world as well, and that includes, we talk quite often about how much water do we use? How long mm. is the water running when he brushes his teeth? And then I might share some, might sound a bit weird, but I show him pictures and books of children who do not have the water, who have to go to a little river that's often quite dirty to get buckets full of water. Yeah. And he doesn't quite understand it yet, but he often says to me, no, mama, we need to save water. Right? Other children don't have water. And yeah. these small moments, I think you've got to use them. Yes. Well, we, we have this this refugee family living with us right now, a grandma, a mum and a six-year-old. So we've got my eight-year-old, a six-year-old and a, and a four-year-old. And we've essentially sort of become pseudo-co-parents to one another's children. Uh, but also this, this young girl, this Ukrainian girl that lives with us, has been through this massive trauma, right? And so her her mother is hyper conscious of her needs she's got different routines and behaviors to my children and yet we're all under the same roof um and we're trying to kind of respect one another as as parents whilst also disciplining our children in different ways having routines with children in different ways etc at one point they were in three different schools because we had like this kind of cluster situation with school districts in our local area Hallelujah for my local MP who helped us cut cut through all of that. Um, but there was a three three month period there where we had these three children in different schools, forty five minutes commute every day, plus return to work, commuting in and out of London post pandemic, and it was it was kicking my ass, you know, like day to day kind of admin death by a thousand cuts, and I was like, I've got to change something here. I cannot, I cannot sustain this. Like my marriage is not going to sustain this. My mental health is not going to sustain this. And, you know, you can explain it to somebody else and they just be like, oh, you're just driving an extra 20 minutes. Wow, wow, poor you, first world problems. You know, actually, every day, it's a lot. Three children, three different routines, 12 different apps for the school, plus work. Oh, it was nuts. It was, I'm telling you. And they've all got different bloody apps. They've all got, oh, parent WhatsApp groups, bane of my life. Like, <laughs> I can't deal. I keep hearing that. Oh. Um, <laughs> Again, God bless my husband, because I just tapped out at one point. And that was funny, explaining to the mums group that the dad was on the mums group. That didn't compete <laughs> for a while. Um, and then they came around to the idea. Um, and now they love him, so it's fine. But, you know, all these things. That's not my that's not my strength. Um, I know that's not my strength. 
other people are better at that stuff than me and I will let them be good at those things and that's fine. Your house still sounds like a lot of fun I have to say. It is fun I must say my house is like somebody's always cooking it smells amazing I've, I've tried lots of like cool foods I never would have tried before like dried squid who knew dried squid was a thing um tried that recently and uh probably drinking more Ukrainian vodka than I than a person healthily should um <laughs> I don't know whether that's just our family that's living with us or whether it whether it's a Ukrainian thing but um cinnamon vodka that was that was a new discovery for us in the house and uh actually it's it's Luda's birthday um today so um after I leave you on this this podcast I'm heading downstairs and there's um I can smell I can smell the cake <laughs> it's just like wafting up from downstairs already um so yeah it's um it, it works for us and and it's it's it feels it feels like a proper home because mm-hmm. to me it's noisy and busy and fun and mm-hmm. laughter and music and not for everyone but it works for us yeah and that's the most important thing isn't it yeah yeah would you say that your key influencer in your early childhood that kind of led you on this path of giving back, of supporting others, of building community, was your grandma or who was it? I think it was many people. Um, firstly, I think it's ingrained in the Cornish culture. Maybe the more common example is New Zealanders. Like most people know that New Zealand is a really friendly, open culture, mm. right? And And I think Cornish people sort of have that um, by and large. They're very engaging, very welcoming. Um, so that's definitely part of my my DNA. I had a hilarious situation recently when I when I bumped into a colleague at Cambridge University and, and he was Cornish and we joked that maybe we were related. And then, you know, an hour later we tracked our family tree and we realized we had like seventh 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 generation back grandparents the same. And so now we just jokingly joke that we're we're cousins every time we see each other. So there's that there's that bit about being Cornish. Um, and then in terms of role models, you know, my grandmother, in terms of her kindness, um, in terms of the way that she showed up for others, both of my grandmothers, in fact, were very much like that. My mother, in terms of her hustle, I have never known anyone hustle like my mother does. She is always there for anyone that needs her. And she's whip smart, but street smart you know like the sort of smart where she she there's nothing you can't do because you can teach yourself if you want to do something like that that sort of hustle um and then my dad's quite you know my dad's quite a self-made man like he, he grew up on a council estate in Cornwall and he started off in the fire service very young and so um I saw my father go to university on through through the fire service college back when that was an option here in the UK and he he grew he grew as I grew like he went through university as I was a young child he role modeled that for me I saw him working very hard I saw my parents sacrificing a lot for my sisters and I um and I don't think I I always knew that they they gave us a lot in terms of their time and love but I didn't really appreciate how hard it was for them until I had my own children it was only when I had my own children um particularly when I had got to child number two um (laughs) when I realized the sheer levels of exhaustion you can have as a parent, like how thin you can feel. And my parents never let me see that, really. They were both working full time, doing shifts, project managing, family. Um, My dad worked away quite a bit when he was studying and my mum, for quite a 
extended periods was was essentially a single parent with with three young girls who were quite um creative gregarious messy crazy wild hobbit things um <laughs> so um how she managed it I don't know and she'll quite happily say that like there's just black holes in her memory of like she just knows that she survived that came out of the other side of it with three children that were relatively healthy and stable and that 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 was that was sufficient and enough so yeah and I I find I never think it's a good thing to say I want to be like x personal or that person's a role model because we're all like messy complex people that have mm. messed up or you know have done things that perhaps we're not proud of and and so what I tend to focus on is taking the best characters of a number of different people and if I can mash up all of these things into something that is distinctly me and works for me then then I'm doing all right and most importantly if you feel really at ease with yourself most of the times at least most of the time that's all yeah if I can sleep at night and know that I've at least come into everything with my values with my integrity then I'm I'm doing okay don't quite know how to segue into this key topic of sustainable leadership but I'm gonna do it anyway you are a solopreneur now Yes. Right. You've taken the leap. Mm. What was the key driver for it? Um, well, I'd been three and a half years, nearly four years at Amazon at that point. I had a great, great run. You know, I'd, I'd loved working in Amazon. I was surrounded by like super intelligent people, hardworking, I had a great role, lots of impact. But it was also at a time where the company was going through some retrenchment. People were leaving. The the scope and span of work that I had been doing was shrinking. I was being asked to do things that were perhaps not as impactful as I would have liked. And I, through no fault of, of the organizations, you know, just that these things kind of ebb and flow. There'll be a period of vast growth and there'll be a period of stabilizing and then growth again. It's It sort of moves like that. And they didn't need me there at that point in time. You know, somebody else could take forward that work and do it just as well. I'd, I'd done a lot of the hard craft in building things up and influencing and pushing it out into the business. Uh, there were these structures called force for good teams that existed within different business units in the European business that we'd, we'd started that concept at the start of the pandemic and it's sort of grown, built a life of its own and then kind of cascaded out organically. And I could see all of that happening catalytically whether I was there or not anymore and so I I started experimenting with trying other things I got this opportunity to um, be the the board chair for Save the Children's uh, corporate board great opportunity but I knew I had to give two days a week to it um, not sorry two days a month to it I'd got asked if I would apply for a non-executive position DCMS were hiring uh, the, on the on the British Tourist Authority and as a Cornish woman, the ability to kind of influence that industry in the UK, which is a massive industry in the UK, employs so many people. I really care deeply about local communities and sustainable tourism. So that was like massively kind of appealing to me as a as a new place and area. I could lend my my brain and my heart and and um, do some good work. And I I just felt pulled. I pulled. I felt pulled in another direction, and and there wasn't enough left in my day job that was sort of keeping me there um so when I left I left on really good terms I sort of said to the company two-way door decision you know um there's nothing that would stop me going back in-house either in Amazon or another large multinational at some point but I also think that we shouldn't be defined by our job titles and our careers either and and I've always felt like I want to go where I have 
the most impact. And, and for me right now, exploring a portfolio career, doing a blend of sustainability advisory work. I've, I've got five coaching clients right now who are sustainability officers, so chief sustainability officers at, at different companies that, you know, I've, I've been through a few things <laughs> in my career today. And I, I, I think I have, you know, a sensible head on my shoulders and I can, I can offer some good coaching support. So that that's helping me feel very fulfilled and then you know at home I you know we've got DIY going on we've got a refugee family that are trying to help find their feet in the UK I, I feel very happy about that decision and and we'll see you know like in six months time let's check in again and see what I'm up to then but for, for right now it's 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 a great next kind of chapter for me it is and I think if I look at it very practically it's also a wise choice not just for the sake of fun and learning and diversity and those differences that you tap into, but also risk diversification, you know, um, I, understanding what could be a key string for me, if at all, because this world has changed and it isn't just about I need to do this certain job and I need to do it forever. No. Yeah, and I, I, I think that... Um... I really believe that we're living through a tipping point in history. Like, uh, you know, we've got the fourth industrial revolution happening, massive acceleration of technology and AI. We've also got insane levels of poly crisis, you know, humanitarian aid, cost of living crisis, disaster, more climate related disasters than ever before. And and this, this, this volatile, uncertain kind of complexity, I think is starting to bring out some of the best of us. And it's causing us to reevaluate what our economy is doing, what equality needs to look like in our society, the role of government in that. Mm. And I want to be, I want to be in it <laughs> and in that and, and working in that ecosystem. And I think that business has a really significant role to play in that, you know, the, the ability for businesses to act responsibly, to use their capabilities as a force for good is really impactful. And um, however I can kind of lend my, my skills and my learnings to that, uh, all to the good, I think question is how can we do that it's a question that I'm asking myself quite often and more so since we spoke for the first time mm. how can we move organizations from and I'm highly talking in black and white here from profit orientation to a balance between profit that offers us to give something back mm -hmm. sustainability you know social responsibility yeah how can and we do more of that So my working theory is that it's different for each organization. And, and so I think there's some organizations that, that will never get there. They are in a, they're still using language like sustainable growth, where you can't grow sustainably in finite systems, right? Like you can talk about taking market share, but if you create a monopoly in a market, you're not competitive anymore and you're, you're killing local or smaller businesses and that's not right either. So those sorts of organizations will be driven by compliance and regulation and there's you know rule of law and government and that's ultimately why we have policy that's why policy and law exists and tax mechanisms etc they're the things that kind of push and move move and force some of those incumbent players that are stuck in those older ways of doing business um and we see this in things like the tobacco industry you know that's the kind of extreme end of the scale example but you know, fundamentally that product is not healthy it, it poisons and kills people so and yet why does it exist and and so in in order to kind of evaluate that and figure out what that industry needs to do and change you know should it exist if you take cigarettes out of the market 
are people going to feel like you've you've taken a right away from them a right to have access to that how you know what what is that and how do you how do you toy with that and um things like regulation you, we've seen that with how they put um really kind of disturbing photos on the front of cigarette packets just as an example and yet people still buy them like look at all these <laughs> to your lungs and yet you're still buying them um she says uh still happily drinking her ukrainian vodka so you know judge me i'm a complete hypocrite that's fine um but the, the, there's all these trade-offs and things right you know so um the other example with businesses are that that the other end of the spectrum is there there are these transformational highly highly ethical organizations and you see this also in in periods of change there's like mass innovation with different business models that are forming and it's okay and there's no right or wrong but there's there's space for a b corp a benefit corporation there's space for social enterprise there's space for community interest companies so all of these transitional kind of business models that are kind of pushing at the vanguard of like we need to do this stuff differently we cannot continue with that way we're seeing family businesses accelerate at a much faster pace than um organizations which are let's say publicly traded or um kind of more homogenous kind of stakeholder vested interests because they're organizations that are led from a point of like longer term planning and legacy and like multi-generational thinking and how they run their businesses and yet the the rhetoric that we constantly overly focus on and talk about are the large incumbent players right like the the mass you know it, it's easy to kind of sling mud at a, an, an amazon or another large multinational but you know that's not fair or right either these organizations are doing a hell of a lot of good and Yes, they're imperfect organizations and yes, they should do more and they're trying. Does that mean that some of these things have to break and dissolve and not exist anymore? Yeah, perhaps. And and some of that maybe the market will do for us. But I also think there's a role there for us as consumers because ultimately this all at the moment, because of the way our economy works, and you know, we, we could probably do another podcast altogether on like donut economics and different ways of different ways the economy should look and, and citizens' assemblies and all these good things that people are experimenting with. But ultimately we are where we are with with this this market that we have. And so unless we're kind of creating a revolution and and you know, maybe that is at some point what what is required, right now the power that you and I have and the influence that, that anyone listening to us talk now has is where we put our money, you know, where our where our pensions go, how we build financial security around our livelihoods, what we spend our money on um, as as consumers from a retail perspective, where we donate our money, how we think about that, and um, how we share what we have, you know, how we share the roof over our heads or the food on our plates or the clothes that our children have grown out of, you know, it's not necessarily maybe that we need to have less, but maybe that we need to do things differently and and be okay with sharing more. And that's a lesson that we should have learned from childhood. And yet somehow we seem to unlearn this as we grow up as adults. One question that popped to my mind as to whether it fits or not, but it is why we buy. You know, what is the need that we are trying to satisfy? It's, it's, it's also a society in my world, at least, of overconsumption. And asking this question, why do I need this right now? Or isn't it something else that I need? So I realized in particular, in the first year of motherhood paired with COVID, it coincidentally came together. I was missing connection and community. Yeah. I was really missing it. I didn't quite realize it. But man, it, now in hindsight, I'm like, I missed so many people. Mm. 
and hugs and warmth and support and laughter together face to face. What I found myself in is giving me satisfaction differently. Yeah. And that was really connected to shopping, ordering from Amazon and all of that as to whether it makes sense or not, you know. And nowadays, I'm asking myself the question far more often, why? Uh, yeah, and I, the question that I think is a good way of framing it is, what do you want to be rich in? Mm, yeah. Do you want to be rich in money? Do you want to be rich in time? Do you want to be rich in love? What is happiness to you? Mm. And if you look at, I mean, I've done a lot of work in this through my research at Cambridge, and I actually wrote an article recently um, on, on sustainable consumption. But the root of sustainable consumption in our in our current Western world, it, it it's a it's a trick taking the psychology of of Freud and using advertising and dopamine hits and status and short term kind of triggers of human um flight or flight response and 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 dopamine hits in purchasing behaviors that gives us a false a false sense of um fulfillment and uh belonging that's sort of what it's coming into it's that's what it's leaning into this this kind of um the way that advertising works etc and um you can sort of project that onto other things as well like um the, the news we absorb the messaging that we listen to what we believe to be true it, it takes a very wise person far wiser than me to constantly evaluate these things you know do I really need to buy that should I be purchasing things differently what is it behaviorally that I've unconsciously done or started doing and, it, and it's everything from you know liquid hand soaps versus soap bars why do we need liquid hand soaps? We, we don't really. Um, there's lots of embedded plastic in that and there's water in that, etc. A bar of soap is perfectly good, does the job. And yet something in our society at some point decided that the, the next kind of status symbol is, is to, to have a liquid hand soap in the bathroom. San Pellegrino was an example I saw recently. Why do we pay more for a San Pellegrino lemonade than a Sprite lemonade? And is it because of the foil? on the top of the of the can and um, what is it that made us ident like what is it about the brand identity with 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 the foil and the labeling etc that ultimately turns a product which isn't isn't too different uh, and gives it a de demonstra demonstrably different value in terms of what we will be willing to pay for something and i find all that stuff fascinating it it is it, it's, it's, it comes out of psychology at the end of the day it really does I'm originally not from Cornwall, I'm from Germany. And the trend I've been seeing here for a while now is we go back. So the hand soap, the hand yeah. shampoo, the um, far more sustainable products that are being promoted. And there's a huge focus on it. And here they introduced, and, and we are behind the Scandies, for example, and so on and so forth. But there has been a trend for years and years that you don't buy plastic bags or you have to buy them at least. So there are small steps that have been undertaken far sooner. And in so many countries, so where I'm from in the Netherlands, in Denmark, for example, you cycle everywhere. For some of these day-to-day -day activities, yeah. they are not necessarily connected anymore with status. 
It mm. is about, you know, how can you be more sustainable, but also how can you combine it with living a healthier lifestyle, getting some fresh air for your kid when you drop them off a nursery, all of that. And yes, we have a lot of improvement to do and there's still a lot of uh, status here as well. But I think it is really important to think about these small day-to-day acts. Yeah, and I mean, that's a really good example of what you said earlier, you know, like how do we help people make that change and what do we need to do? So like the, the plastic bag example is a brilliant one there's probably some of us that would not have been using plastic bags. We would have been having a bag for life or a canvas bag or whatever for years. And yet not everybody did. And not everybody was a first mover on that. And it was only when things like plastic bag bans came in or supermarkets started charging people 5p for a bag that the behaviour started to shift. And there's there's other countries, uh, Kenya, you're bringing that back into the conversation, but they, they had a plastic bag ban you know you you come through um immigration in kenya with a bag that's plastic it gets taken away from you and you have to buy a canvas one right so um because they saw the damage that the plastic was doing on the ground in their communities um to nature etc and they did not have the recycling facilities in order to deal with it so they just stopped it you know if it's not there to start with you don't need the recycling facilities job job solved so some of these things are the simplest of things um yeah, we just need to do them. So before I let you go to your well-deserved cake that seems to smell oh, yeah. so good, um, what's the role of sustainable leaders in those changes? Because I have to admit, before I met you, I wasn't really aware of sustainable leadership and that there's a specific role and such. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it manifests. Some people call it a responsible business leader. Some people call it a corporate responsibility leader or a corporate citizenship leader chief sustainability officer it's at a point in time where there's lots of different job titles but essentially many of us are doing the same thing you know um it's showing up and bringing our whole selves into our work but that intersection of strategic thinking amidst the complexity and helping businesses understand where and how to use their capabilities as a force for good is ultimately what it is and for some people that might manifest in not just reducing the impact that the company has on the environment, but actually being net positive and, and regenerative in how the business is giving giving back and creating well-being through its day-to-day operations. Um, for others, it might be um, elements of, of hiring and sustainable livelihoods and social justice and how they operate as employers. And all these organisations are similarly to the entrepreneurs who are working out and experimenting with new products and new and new innovations a lot of the larger companies are also um, looking at the, the the dna of the companies and how they show up and how they bring uh, responsible business across their environmental social and governance impact to life through what they do and um, there are many of us now that are um, I, I know I started very young in my career and I, I've, I've grown up as this profession has grown, but it's a, it's also a profession that's really uh, exploding and expanding because of where we are as a, as a society and what's needed and, and how business needs to change in order to ensure that we, we're not kind of punching through too many of these planetary boundaries that we're in, in danger of breaking. And I think we all can play a role in it with or without the title. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And we have to. Yeah. I don't think we can look away anymore. No. Oh, Beth, I think we need another um, show to delve deeper <laughs> into a few other topics here. Um, <laughs> and that's a public invitation for you to return because oh, it's been an utter you. joy. And I think 
we haven't covered even half of what you have to give and to share with us. So you are more than welcome to return. Thank you. I'd love to. Um, and anyone that's listening, you know, if you want to give me any feedback or ask me any questions, you know, I'm very approachable. So I, I will try my best to get back to people. Um, you can reach me on LinkedIn. You can reach me through my website or through Kathleen and let her know how much you appreciate her for creating this space for people like me to share our stories. So thank you, Kathleen. Thank you. And the website is now launched, right? If I have seen that correctly. It is. It's Bethnight.earth. Yeah. Dot earth. Here Dot you earth. go. <laughs> <laughs> so get in touch with Beth. And yeah, I don't need to repeat it. We'd love to your feedback. So I love it too. And let us know what topics you might be very curious about. So mm. when we bring Beth back, then what should we talk about? Let us know. I have loads of ideas. I'm pretty sure you do as well. But you as listeners are very relevant to us. Uh, so yeah. Keep us updated. Thank you so, so much, Beth, and, uh, Beth, for being here today and for being this wonderful person you are. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Kathleen. Thank you so much for listening to the Legendary Leaders podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, then remember to subscribe to the show either on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or my website, www.kathleenmerkel.com. I would also love to hear from you to discover what topics you'd like to hear more about, what topics really resonated with you, and how you're enjoying the show in general. Perhaps you have some ideas for additional topics, something that you're truly curious about. Please do leave your review on Apple Podcasts as well. It would mean the world to us. Thank you so much and speak to you again next time. Take good care. Bye.